Oh no, I'll, huh. I'll be awake because I'm going to go and sit down on my supper in a bit and yeah. uh, probably watch a film with my partner and uh, and I might even if I behave myself I might even get to watch Match of the Day later. Excellent, good. <laughs> <laughs> One guest, ten songs, ten reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love is one of the founder members of a British band that helped shape and influence the electronic music scene in the UK in the early 1980s. With hits including Living on the Ceiling, Waves, uh, Don't Tell Me, as well as a fine cover of ABBA's The Day Before You Came, Blamange has sold countless records worldwide with their first two albums being credited gold in the UK. Blamange have released 16 studio albums, 13 of them in the last 11 years. I'm talking about Neil Arthur, and we'll hear from him after his first choice from the Rolling Stones. Hello. Neil Arthur, welcome to Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love. How are you going, Al Andre? Good, thank you. And you, uh, you've just come off uh, a leg of a tour, and as you said to me in a message today, you're knackered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not that knackered, but you know, uh, we've done a, a few dates, and uh, it's not—it's not actually the the performances. I absolutely love doing that. I love going on stage, and uh, although I didn't many years ago, several decades ago, uh, but uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy the opportunity to do that, and pretty much appreciate it but it's the miles i think they've put extra yards in them <laughs> <laughs> when you when you say you didn't enjoy it before was that stardom not enjoying it or was it just a, a bigger a bigger thing then um a bigger monster before yeah there were several monsters but uh that I, I i was a reluctant front man for a mm. long time and then uh the you know, you, you kind of embrace it and you enjoy aspects of it and, uh, you know, don't take it too seriously, you know, uh, in all the seriousness of the business mm. that you're already in. But I ended up um, in 85, 86. It's a short period of time that, you know, Blue Orange were together in that first period. Uh, I just ended up not enjoying it. And really, you know, we, it, we decided to uh, stop it to save a friendship and I think that was more important, mm. really. Tell me about your first choice of the Rolling Stones. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, um, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Um, this was the first record I bought at Nightingale's in Darwin in Lancashire, where I was uh, born and brought up. Uh, I got a, a token for my birthday. I think it was two and six, something like that. And my sister took me down to the shop on the main road in Darwin, and there was a little booth with all kind of, uh, I don't know what it's called, like pin board inside, yeah. you know, and you used to be able to go in there and the person at the, uh, uh, that sold you the record would put the record on and you could stand in the booth and listen to it. <laughs> and I remember doing that, and this was the first record I bought. Um, to add to that, when I was at my junior school, I actually, with a group of mates, mimed to this in front of the class <laughs> and uh, and I pretended to be Mick Jagger on one <laughs> version of it and then my mate who had longer hair than me came to the front and I went and played Charlie Watts on the drums 
<laughs> for oh. the second second one. And I actually think the second time round it went down better. So maybe I should have been a drummer. <laughs> was uh, was that was there much music being played at home when you were growing up? Um, yeah, uh, there was. Uh, I think a lot of radio on. You know, there's always the radio on. Um, but uh, the the thing that used to happen is my dad. Um, used to play the piano accordion and of course you know my mum was uh she's <laughs> my mum was reluctant to let my dad have the accordion on uh, mm. play the accordion in any room in the house so he, he used to have to go in the we had there were two rooms so he used to go in the front room or sometimes go down to my grand's <laughs> and play down there <laughs> well there's there's, there's, a, there's a great tom waits quote uh, what's the definition of a gentleman, someone can, that can play the accordion but doesn't? Yeah, well, my dad was both, actually. <laughs> Without a doubt, he was a gentleman. Yeah. Um, anybody who knew my dad would call him that. Uh, your second choice, Neil, uh, tell me about this one. It's from American jazz pianist Fats Waller. Yeah, uh, yeah you asked me about the, uh, the, you know, the influence of music in the home, and uh, there, was, there was music in the house, um, and one of the artists that I was brought up listening to was Fats Waller, and his album um, "Ain't Misbehaving" is uh, just sensational, and it's embedded in me. And that influence comes from both my mum and dad, but particularly my dad. Absolutely loved Fats Waller. <laughs> So, uh, Andre, hey, there you go. Um, so I, I uh, left Lancashire, uh, having done a foundation course at Preston uh, in art and design, and I managed to get, um, God knows how, but somebody managed to offer me a place at Harrow College of Art studying illustration, and I did history of art within the course as well. And... Uh, we got down there, and the the brilliant thing about the course is, uh, although it dealt with, you know, kind of the uh, idea of becoming an, an illustrator, learning out, learning about graphics and fitting your illustrations into um, maybe a an album design, a book design, a magazine, or whatever. Um, we did life draw life drawing as well, and Sam Marshall, who took the uh, life life classes, it was a brilliant. It was a brilliant course, actually. And uh, Sam Marshall was the head of the course, and he took life drawing. And uh, he, he used to go, Oh, crikey, lads. Now, crikey. Now, ladies and gentlemen, crikey. Oh, my God. Now, get your viewfinders out. Get your viewfinders out. And oh. So we got this. It was around the time of punk, but it was just, I think it was 77, 76, 77, 78. And uh, we just thought it would be brilliant to have a, an art school band full of people who couldn't play anything. <laughs> um, I've got to say, there were a couple of lads in the band who actually could play. Ken and Colin could play, but they weren't at the art college. They were they were friends of friends. and uh, But most of us couldn't play a thing. And we just made a lot of noise. We did covers from Roxy Music songs through to Shirley Bassey, A Big Spender. We managed to... Just one Colin extreme together. to the other. Oh, yeah. And we called ourselves Sam Crikey, and the viewfinders, but it was shortened. 
<laughs> it was shortened to the viewfinders. That's where the name came from. <laughs> and uh, moving on then from there, how, how did you meet uh, Stephen Luscombe? Well, it was at one of those gigs, so we we didn't, you know, we just played in the the, the college bar, sometimes round at people's houses until the police came, stopped it. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, Stephen came along, he had a friend who was on the graphics course, Robert Carter, and he came along with him and some other friends, saw us play, and we got chatting, and we found that we had... Uh, Really similar interests in music, you know. So, uh, Captain B, for, for example, uh, Perubu, um, uh, This Heat, uh, Eno, stuff like that. And then the next few weeks later, I went to see Stephen play with his experimental band. And I think on that occasion, he may well have been playing a, a Hoover that somebody had managed to get to. Instead of suck it, it got to blow, and he connected a saxophone to it. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, we we like we we had this, you know, we if if anything, we could we could have split very early for having um you know you hear about bands splitting because they had uh, musical differences. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, we could have split because because we had musical similarities. <laughs> <laughs> you um, the, the two of you you started by releasing an, e an EP called Irene and Mavis, which, um, yeah. according to one article I read, was basically ignored by the media and the record buying public. Um, I've listened to it over the <laughs> yeah. last couple of days because it's available on on streaming sites. Very experimental. Was it? Was that stage about trying to find what you really wanted to do? No, that was a total expression of what we did do. Okay. <laughs> we weren't trying to find anything. It was just what we did, you know. Yeah. And uh, but no, um, no, we weren't deluded or had any um, aspirations to be in, uh, you know, to moving moving it any further along than yeah. that. Really, it's just. Uh, you know, one thing leads to another, really. If you give yeah. a, monk, a few monkeys a, enough time with a typewriter, they'll come up with something, you know. You were you a big Mark <laughs> Berlin fan? Oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, after the, you know, kind of a, the, the influence of what was going around the home and these this music that we've talked about earlier. And, of course, I have an older sister who was really into a lot of soul in the um, 60s, mm. but also some of the more psychedelic stuff as well. So that was all filtering through. But one of the things that uh, came along was something that was I felt was just for me, you know, and, uh, just for us when we were growing up as kids, you know. And uh, that was T-Rex. And the first song initially was uh, Ride a White Swan um, for me. But then they started to T Rex started to change, and um, yeah, I it would have been the first gig I went to, but my mum would only let me go if it was a matinee, and I had to wait for a year later, and I think I was allowed to go and see David Bowie, which was also a bit of a life changing moment. Yeah, so. <laughs> T Rex and uh, this song, Hot Love, unbelievable. In 1982, uh, everything changed for you guys. We're living on the ceiling. Did you and Stephen feel that everything changed? Countless appearances on Top of the Pops and interviews left, right and centre? Well, yeah, it was a bit... Um, it was a bit of a roller coaster ride and it was mainly, you know, kind of 
it was going uphill, but it felt like it was the speed of going downhill. You know, mm. if you get what I mean, it was yeah. it was weird. Um, we'd gone from, you know, getting the record deal in February, getting a few records out. We had God's Kitchen, I've seen the word, feel me. And then and then came Living on the Ceiling. And it in the autumn of, well, it's 40 years ago now, isn't it? Mm. And uh, you know, w with the uh, record getting in the charts, we did Top of the Pops and stuff like that. So it's completely if you you had to kind of wind back a year, even six months, completely different experience. And uh, we just said, oh, "Come on, let's just enjoy this." You know, it could be over by Christmas, you know. Mm. <laughs> and was it exciting? Or, well, you've kind of answered this question. I was going to say, was it exciting or was it pressure? But by the sound of what you just said there, you were going to make it exciting. You were going to enjoy the moment. Yeah, we were, we were going to enjoy it, and it was our, of course it was our work, you know, we were doing stuff that we had to kind of take care, we, if, if we, if, you know, if our young ears were kind of able to kind of listen, we were trying to take the advice, but you know, the, when you're young, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very, very, not for everybody, but my experience, you know, you're kind of like, you're running really fast, you mm. are really moving fast, you know, <laughs> and sometimes you can't hear it. Uh with hindsight, uh, like looking back now, uh, the one thing I'm certain of is uh, I'm not certain, and I'm quite happy about that. But when I was younger, I thought I knew a bit more than I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we embraced it and had a really, you know, had a great time for a very short space of time. But it was a relatively short space of time. But um, it was a bit bonkers. It was a bit bonkers, without a doubt. Your fourth choice, Neil, on this edition of Music was my first love. from actually music. Tell me about. Uh, the band and the track you've chosen. Yeah, um, well, uh, Roxy Music uh, were introduced to me by my mate, Noel Wilde, who was a big influence on me in terms of uh, music. He actually showed me my, the, the first bar chord. If you know about playing a guitar, that's quite a crucial thing to know. Mm. So <laughs> he showed me how to do a bar chord. Uh, so I was away once I knew that. Um, and uh, he he said, "Have you you know have you heard Virginia playing?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, I've heard that." He said, "You want to get you want to get their album? Uh, that single's not on it, but you want to get it." So off I went uh, down to Ames's with my uh, music I, uh, money I earned uh, working on the the uh, Darwin Market, uh, you know this uh, stall on Darwin Market, and I I bought I've still got the copy. I bought my first album. That was the first album I bought. Now, the ridiculous thing is, I, as I've just said to you, Virginia Plain isn't on it, but mm. it was on the back of hearing Virginia Plain. But I went down and bought the album. Subsequently, I went and bought, <laughs> I went and bought the single as well. <laughs> so um, from from Nightingales, of yeah. course. <laughs> It just bong it's a crazy record. You know, my my I I remember watching it on top of the pops, that institution that we all used to lock yeah, into and yeah. uh, you know, it, the, all the generations came came together to watch watch these different uh, an eclectic mix of uh, what was going on in the charts. And Roxy Music came on and I thought, well this is right up my strasse. And I, I turned around and I remember my mum and dad, and particularly my mum just going, "Ooh, oh, he gives me the creeps." And I thought, <laughs> That's the band for me. <laughs> you know, that's the one for me. My parents don't like it. I got to love it even more. But I, I genuinely did. So. <laughs>
Blamange, as I uh, mentioned earlier, covered an ABBA track the day before you came, but for your fifth choice, uh, you've chosen the winner takes it all. Yeah. Um, I'm actually sitting in my little man cave where I uh, do quite a bit of... In fact, I come in here to um, put down the songs I've written elsewhere. So I just kind of, you know, I tend to kind of... I want to come in the studio, I've actually got an idea, but... I'm sitting in front of a cassette that I keep on a shelf uh, and it's the ABBA singles. It's the second cassette. It's a double cassette, but I've only got the, the second one. And on the uh, the penultimate song on that cassette is uh, The Day Before You Came. And I mentioned earlier about my, the influence of the music that was going on at home. Um, and uh, one of the things that used to happen is we all had, we had our chores so, uh, you know, I'd have to clean the fire out and set it and all that business and obviously clean your room and do the stairs or whatever you had to do, you know. And we used to have music on when this was going on. And it went from Johnny Cash, uh, live at San Quentin, San Quentin, oh, into, into various things. And then it got on to ABBA. And the thing is, we, we absolutely, I just absolutely adored ABBA. And I've got to say, a lot of people didn't kind of... In 1982 or 83, when we did this cover, ABBA weren't seen in the same light as the maybe they looked upon, you know, today, mm. the way people see them today. Yeah. But I just absolutely adored them, and Stephen did as well. So when we came to do this um, song, and I, I, as you know, we changed a, cu a couple of words in it, yeah. you know. Uh, we, we managed to get Barbara Cartland in it, and on one version we even got the... Uh, Coronation Street theme tune, but I, I just absolutely adored them, and uh, I still do. So, uh, and this song, um, the singing on it just gets me every single time. Every single time, Agnetus, she's just—it's just unbelievable. This this song, um, emotionally, I love it. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. So the fall were a, a huge influence on, on me and had quite an impact on the idea of what you could, could write about. Uh, and that song really sums it up. You know, because I'm I'm into the kind of uh, it, it, lyrically, I, I kind of write about the mundane, the everyday, the things that we all touch on, the things that we all see, and I try and mix that up with other stuff. And I think the fall became a huge influence for me, not only in that way, but also Mark E. Smith, uh, who I was lucky enough to meet several times, uh, was. Um, he really encouraged us. Really, he, he wrote to me. He wrote the most. He, very, he wrote very long letters, uh, mm. and uh, he wrote to me a few times because we'd met at a gig, and I'd given him that uh, EP that you were talking about earlier, um, Andrew, yeah. the uh, Iron and Mavis one, and uh, he had to listen to it and wrote back. And he was a person who encouraged us to send the EP to John Peel, 
and uh, lo and behold, having sent it, John Peel went and played it. So, you know, they, yeah, they met the, the band and their music and all the albums they've uh, released. <laughs> but, um, I have, I've, I've really enjoyed. I mean, so there's some bonkers stuff on there, but um, the full are unique and massively important to uh, the, uh, yeah, the music scene. Between you and, and Stephen, had there always been a, a big fascination with the idea of, of electronic music? And did it start with Kraftwerk, or does it go back further than that? Yeah, it's just... Um, the idea of electronic music... To, yeah, well, the, undoubtedly Kraftwerk were an influence, but uh, the thing is, it was just a, a means to an end for us, really, because mm. we, we just wanted to work together. We didn't want to be a band... We really didn't want to be a band, we, and we just thought, well, if we can make the noises as you as you've heard on Irene and Mavis between us, well, why can we not? As as technology becomes available, and we can beg, steal, and borrow. I use those words, you know, kind of. They're all qualified. Those words, mm. um, uh, you know. If we can kind of get our hands on the gear and learn how to use them. Let's see how far we can go with this. Um, and, of course, then you start working with engineers and producers and you meet other musicians, like, for example, David Rhodes, coming in and meeting David on the Japan tour and him coming and playing on the album, you know, when we were working with Mike Howlett. Mm. was just incredible. You know, it was great. And the friendship endures, you know. So, uh, But going back to the technological aspect of it, um, initially we used Tupperware and... You know anything we could, you know. And well, Hoover's try to the sound of things. Pardon? Hoover's, Hoover's, yeah. <laughs> and and try to uh, you know uh, washing machines. Um, I I still use lots of field recordings. There's, I mean, on recent albums, some of the some of the kind of loops that we've used, uh, I've used with Benj, uh, have uh, you know originated from some kind of something not being put in the dishwasher properly, and it's just it's just cycling around and making these loops. Mm. I just recorded it. You know, so uh, anything goes. But with us, yeah, and um, and over enough time, you get to know your way around um, some of the synthesizers, and uh, I use computers and samples and all different things. You know, I mean, the thing is, Andrew, I start from my own point of view. I actually start a lot of songs on a guitar. Right. So the guitar is behind me in the studio, and it's just an acoustic and a Yamaha acoustic, and I start on that because I've got a melody in my head or some words are suggested some type of rhythm as I'm saying them in my head, you know, and it just develops from there. But yes, I love electronics and um, yeah, that's, that's just what I've done for, we've en I've ended up doing for 40 odd years now. Haven't I? So, you know. Well, some American rock next, uh, Neil, tell me about Pierre Uber. Pierre Uber. Pierre Uber. Um, yeah. Well, they, utilize uh, electronics as well actually in their music very very well and quite wildly and this song non-alignment pact is a very good example of that the kind of, kind of mix between industrial rock and um, post-punk industrial rock and you know electronics and they are if you've ever get if you ever get the opportunity to watch a film of them performing uh, it's worth it really is worth it because David Thomas the lead singer is just unbelievable on stage and I went my with my partner on our first date 
Yeah, first day we went along and we saw them at um, a venue in London and walked in. And David Thomas was actually playing. He had a, he had a hammer and um, possibly a clave or a, just a piece of metal. And he was playing. That was his instrument. He was there playing this and singing. And they just completely changed my perception of what was what you could do. So there were it just it, it basically I mean I always, I already thought that punk had opened up so many doors I opened up so many doors in my head to kind of like yes you can do it you don't need to wear a cape and play three keyboards at once you know it's you can play one string on a guitar it's the idea that counts you yeah. know it's, if you've got an idea there you go and then I saw this band and they kind of just blew me away You're listening to Music Was My First Love with Neil Arthur choosing 10 of his favourite songs. I wanted to talk with you a little, if I may, Neil, a little bit uh, self-indulgent on my part, um, about Vince Clark um, for a couple of reasons I wanted to mention him. Firstly, um, I've followed his career since his early days in Depeche Mode, Yazoo, who I was a massive fan of, and Erasure. He's a great, great writer of electronic pop songs, even some of the songs off the Upstairs at Eric's album. Um, would you agree that, that Vince uh, is a massively underrated and huge influence with the British electronic music scene of the 80s and beyond? Oh, my goodness. I, um, I assumed that he wasn't underrated, that everybody knew. Maybe it's just me then. Yeah. That, that, that maybe the, everybody knows exactly where he should be, and that's very, very, very close to the top. Yeah. Um, I would never have thought Vince would be underrated, uh, considering his track record. Yeah. Of the bands you just mentioned yeah. and other projects, you know. So yeah. he's uh, an amazing writer. Um, so a question I've always wanted to ask you in the days before we could confirm things on the internet. Um, is it true that you were either in discussions with Vince and Eric Radcliffe about recording with, or you had recorded something with his project, The Assembly? Yeah, I um, I did go in and do some stuff with... Uh, because Vince and I were, you know, um, were good friends, and we remain friends now. So, um, yeah, I did. And uh, I went into Blackwing, and we did some stuff. But it, it just, you know... Other things kind of happened and whatever. So you know, we um, didn't kind of end up end up developing it um, any further. The funny thing is that all these years later, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Vince and I have uh, recorded with Ben Jedwards as well right. uh, an album. So we just need to mix it, and when we've mixed it, there will be an album. So oh great! Well, <laughs> it's an album of covers. <laughs> well, I will play it. I do a Saturday night music show, so I will play it, that's for sure. Yeah, it's all, all covers, and you'll know quite a few of them. How big an influence... You, you touched on this earlier, and, and, and we left it, because obviously we were coming to this next choice, but how big an influence has David Bowie been on you? Um, I think uh, anybody who's made music in the last... Uh, well, you know, um, the type of music... The area of music that, you know, kind of I'm involved in... Um, has made music in, you know, kind of that period of time from uh, the late seventies to now. We'll be telling you live they weren't influenced by him. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he was absolutely. I, I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the possibility of going to see T Rex, and my mum said, "No, you can't go unless it 
to matinee because yeah. I was quite young. Uh, I had to wait a, year, a few years probably. And then David Bowie came to uh, Blackburn and uh, I got ticket number four uh, to go and see him at King George's Hall. And if I say that that was a life-changing moment, I think it will show you the weight that, that uh, the question you asked me carries. Mm. Yeah, I've got, I'll give you an answer there. It's, it's, it's massive. It's so big. <laughs> and with such a large back catalogue, uh, any particular reason for Sound of Vision? Yeah, because it's a song I um, sit... It's a very personal thing. I, I, um, I sit with my daughter, I did, when she was younger, and we'd sit and play and sing it together at the piano. But Sound of Vision... After uh, Blancmange disbanded in 1986, uh, you released a solo album, Suitcase, in 1994. Uh, what were you doing uh, in the eight years prior and then the following 17 years before you and Stephen got back together? The washing up. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> you were a house, you were a family man. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good for you. Did you miss it during that time? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> Abs absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so I, I did music for film. I did uh, uh, adverts, uh, tights, uh, and I was lucky enough to kind of get offered those opportunities. Um, I did uh, some decorating. I did, uh, you know, I had a family. Um, the ups and downs of uh, life and... Mm. Uh, in 2011, having spoken to Stephen in two thousand, uh, shortly before 2010, actually, I said I'd got a collection of songs. I wonder whether he wanted to hear, and together we finished that album. So it was there was absolutely no way in that 26 years before then, I I could say that I missed it. Hmm. No way. I did things that were. F I've got to say they were far more important. Yeah. And when <laughs> yeah. when Stephen left uh, the band due to ill health um, mm -hmm. after the release of Blonde Bird, was it always the plan for you to keep the band's name rather than continue as a solo artist? Yeah, they, well, it just happened really, and I think one of the reasons it happened was you know Stephen gave me a kick up the arse and said get on with it. Mm. So because um, he knew that I was writing and I knew and he knew that I was fine about performing live and quite liked it again. So um, it, was, it wasn't really uh, something that... Uh, it, it just seemed the obvious route, really. And how is Stephen today? Um, I, it's really nice of you to ask, actually. Uh, but I'm a... He's very... I love Stephen dearly. And, um, and because of that, I am very protective of his... Yeah. Um, it, within that word, protective, of his privacy. Yeah. So I, I, what I'll say is that I'll thank you very much for asking... And I'll Leave it pass on your best wishes. Please. And uh, so I think you understand the way I'm answering uh, 100%. It. And you know yeah, what? We're you. a hospital radio station. Exactly. And we wish uh, complete health to everyone and we respect people's privacy. Tell me yeah. about Thank your you. penultimate choice from Lou Reed. Um, I mentioned on the last song that uh, David Bowie is obviously a big influence on, on me, but the specific song was um, chosen because of my relationship with my daughter and the, the love of that song and us playing it together. 
and uh, I've got a son as well and uh, they're both really into music and our Joe goes under the name Kincaid and makes music um, and he's all, uh, 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 under that name but when he was a young lad I used to we have you know kind of lots of music around the house but that was one of the songs that we used to love playing off um, the Lou Reed album uh, Berlin and it, it, we used to just dance around and sing it together and you know when he was a little lad so it was just a lovely a lovely long a song to, for us to kind of um, dance around the house and, and sing together that's why I've chosen it my I think you can imagine that you know the, the Velvet Underground and it wouldn't need me to really explain oh. it too much but the Velvet Underground and Lou Reed after the Velvet Underground were quite an influence on uh, some of us making music um, post-punk period yeah, as well Satellites gone up to the skies We come to your final choice Neil and it's from LCD Sound System tell me about something great yeah, I, I really like a lot of LCD sound systems, music, and uh, the sounds they use. But again, simply, um, I'm I'm not much of a dancer, but I do I do I've discovered um, I've discovered a new release. Like, so I'm not really good at relaxing. Me, I'm not very good at relaxing, and um, I like to keep moving. And but I've never been much of a dancer, so um, I recently discovered that I actually do like dancing but I'm not a very good dancer and I've come to terms with the two things I like dancing but I'm not a very good dancer so <laughs> I'm easy about it but one of the songs I love to dance to and I only dance to it with one person and that's my partner is this song and um, it's not particularly the, I love the lyrical content of it but it's the actual feel of the song and the groove and everything as well and we just We've danced to it for ever since it, it was released, and it's the one song I feel I completely lose myself and don't feel self conscious dancing as this lanky northerner. <laughs> I'm just very relaxed um, with the person I love dancing. As you look back, any uh, one thing professionally that you're most proud of? Yeah, the moment I stood on stage with my son uh, in Liverpool when we supported uh, Creepshow, that's John Grant and the guys out of Wrangler. Mm. So that's Phil Winters, Benj, uh, Mal, and um, and I, we were supporting them. Uh, so Joe and myself on stage, that rises above anything, yeah. anything that I've been any, anywhere near in music. Father and son. That's it. And what's the future for Neil Arthur and Blamange as we sit here at the back end of October 2022? Well, Andrew, you know I'm got, I've got 17 dates to go on a tour, so <laughs> got a bit of a way to go with that. Uh, promoting uh, Private View, which I'm lucky enough to have out on London Records. Um, you know, having first signed to them in nine, <laughs> 40 years ago, God. that's a heck of a long time ago. Yeah. So to be back with them is quite something for me. Uh, next year, I've got a project um, called The Remainder, which is coming out, and that's with. Um, uh, Liam Hutton, who's playing drums with uh, Blumange on tour, and Finlay Shakespeare, who uh, is just the most amazing uh, musician and um, even uh, also runs a company developing synthesizers as well. 
Um, and beyond that, I've got festivals next year uh, with Blumange, and there'll be we're working on another album for two ta- uh, 2024. So uh, and, and there's other projects near future. Fader, I mentioned the one with Vince, uh, which yeah. at some point in the future will be um, will be mixed. So we're going to see that next year. Do you think that album? Um, I'm not sure, but. Um, the ones that are going to happen are the you know kind of uh, initially it will be the fader uh, the yeah. uh, the remainder album. Neil Arthur, I've loved every second of chatting. Thank you so much. You're very kind, Andrew. Thank you very very much for you know if you can you put up with me and if you can make sense <laughs> of what I've said. How lovely, how lovely. Thank you, thank you very much indeed. Ta. <laughs> You've been listening to Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where Neil Arthur has been choosing 10 of his favourite songs. I'm Andrew Wolfe, and join me again soon when someone else chooses 10 of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. And it will be my last.